Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. So last week we started a conversation around little foxes and we said a number of things and I don't have time today because they've put a timer in front of me. So go and watch last week's sermon, okay? I can't do a recap. But I can start off by saying that we did say Jesus is the vine. You and I, we're the branches, all right? We said that we have fruits, which is the product of our relationship with God. God the Father is the vine dresser, right? And we said that the vine or the vineyard has little foxes. Little foxes are small things, seemingly small things, harmless looking things. that if they're not caught, have the potential to do big damage. That's the, the, the meat of it. And I said to us that one of the reasons why we must study this, or why we're talking about little foxes, amongst other reasons, the one I was going to focus on was the fact that little foxes become big monsters. Did I say that last week? That little foxes become big monsters. And that's the truth, right? And that's, that's what's dangerous about it, is that when something, if, I mean... If a lion appears to you, you know you're in danger. I hope you know you're in danger. (laughs) If a little fox appears to you, you don't know you're in danger. But it has the potential to do great danger. And I said specifically, if it's a sin, if it's a sin, that sin has a way of um, growing. Sin has a way of expanding. It has a way of taking on a monstrous nature. So let me start off today by talking about the progression of sin. That's not my topic. My topic today is the many faces of worry and anxiety. Okay? But let me start here. The progression of sin. So if there's a small sin in a person's life, I started to say that that little thing is going to grow. The objective of sin, I said, is always to enslave and ensnare. Always. That's why the Bible says that sin will not have dominion over you. Dominion is a spiritual term. All right? Anywhere you see dominion manifest, it's usually spiritual. Its root is spiritual. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man, so on and so forth. Verse 28, God said, let the man be fruitful. So fruitfulness is spiritual. Multiplication is spiritual. Replenishment, subduing is spiritual and having dominion is spiritual in nature. So dominion is a spiritual thing. So the objective of sin is always to dominate and ensnare you. And so Rachel gave us an example last week about lying. So let's take another example this week, just to make a point. Stealing. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Come on now. You guys didn't read Exodus? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. So let's assume someone says that I only steal on, was it Mondays and Wednesdays last week? No. So this week, I only steal on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's a sin. So you start to, you're dabbling in, in, in that. What's going to happen over time is that you're no longer going to have the power to say, I only steal on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The power would have flipped, where sin now tells you when to steal. All right? So when you see someone that they call a kleptomania, kleptomaniac, is that the right word? Yes. That is a person (laughs) that sin has dominion over him. You can't tell yourself, I will only do it today, I will not do it tomorrow. That's the nature of sin. And so that's the natural progression of sin. Once you start to dabble in something that's sinful in nature, if you don't check it as a little fox, if you don't catch it, it's going to get to a point where that thing has control over your life. 
And you're not going to be able to help yourself because a spirit of stealing. Have, do, you, do you wonder why someone that has, someone who's a kleptomaniac, for example, if the person comes into a room, no matter how much you've hidden your valuables, that's the first place they would go. You don't know that. Yes. If, if, if you know someone, if you say you have a cousin, that this guy steals a lot. He has a spirit of stealing. <laughs> you now go into your house. You say, this guy is coming to visit me. You hide your valuables. You hide it. You cut the mattress. You put it inside. You sew it back. If that person enters that room, the first place he or she would go, let me not say he because you think it's only guys that steal. <laughs> that he or she would go is to where that valuable is. Why? Because a spirit helps that habit. Yes. So the, the objective of sin is always to enslave you. So whenever you dabble in sin, or you, you, you take it lightly and say, well, it's okay, not a big deal. What's going to happen is you're going to get to a point, and no one knows the definition of that point. I can't tell you if you do it for three weeks, you'll cross the threshold. I can't tell you do it for two years. I just know you will get to a point where you no longer have control. And if you think I'm lying, everything that's sinful in your life, stop it today. Good luck. Right? Good luck. And, and if you say it's true, Pastor, I can stop it, but I just don't want to stop it, then we'll question your salvation. <laughs> Do you understand? So either way, something is wrong. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So this kleptomaniac of a human being is going to keep stealing. That's the first, first step. The next step in the progression of sin is that you're going to get to a point when you do it continually where the Bible calls it, you're giving up to what the Bible calls a reprobate mind. What, that's just another word for a corrupt mind where you now justify what you do that you used to know is sinful, but right now you don't even believe it is sinful anymore. I'm not saying you're in denial, because that's a different thing. If you're in denial, where you say, you know, you're convicted in your heart, but you lie, that um, it's okay. I mean, you get to a legit point where you do not know that what you're doing is wrong anymore. That's what the Bible calls a reprobate mind, and you justify it with scripture. Oh yes, you don't believe me. Let me tell you a story. 2007, I went to England to visit some friends. Um, I was newly born again, like two years born again at the time. Anyways, so I went to London to visit some friends. I stayed in a house, um, northeast London. One of my friends, so the guy who owned the house was a mutual friend. My actual friend who I went to see was my best friend at the time. And he lived with this other guy who was a mutual friend. We, we grew up together. We knew each other since we were like 12, all three of us. But I was closer to the guy who was living with him. So I got to the house. I was spending some time with them. And I started to say, well, wow, this guy's doing really well. You know, he owns this house. This is 2007. How old was I then? So someone who was my age, 2007, this guy owned like three houses in London, in the heart of London, not in the bush. So the guy was doing pretty well. I said, what's this guy? Oh, this guy's doing well. What's he up to? And my friend was telling me that, oh, he's into fraud. <laughs> <laughs> so I slept with one eye open, <laughs> not knowing the day that the cops would come and carry us. But, but that wasn't my main issue. It was an issue, but not my main issue. My main issue was that in the morning, this guy would dress up, wear suit and tie. Very Thomas Pink suit, tie, shoe, <laughs> Oxford shoe. And he had the master bedroom in the house. Obviously, it was his house. What? No, true story. As I go today, favor. Now, hey, so I, I called my friend and say, bro, come. What did you say this guy did? Did I hear you wrong? Is he like cyber fraud, you know, some investigation? They said, no, this guy, he's praying to God for favor 
so that he can go out and, <laughs> and find a victim. True story. This is, and if you pray for like an hour, I'm not joking. He would even come down. I was telling me, I've been telling this your friend to go to church. He's telling me, I'm going, what? True story. He will pray, have, he will sing real devotion, an hour. I was a new Christian. I was even trying to get 10 minutes in in the morning. This guy was far be- <laughs> And then he would go, come back in the evening, say, before he talks to us, let me go give thanks. He'll, and he will go and say, glory to Jesus. <laughs> so I told my friend, I said, bro. So he said, yeah, they call him Pastor T. True, true story. You know what's funny? If, it would be funny if it wasn't sad. Was that this guy, I knew this guy since I was 12. When we grew up in the same teenage church, he was the guy we used to call pastor. So this guy was saved. I'm not talking about an unbeliever. This guy was saved. He'd gotten to a point now where he had a reprobate mind. He did not even know what he was doing was wrong. He thought it was the grace of God at work in his life. And we all do it to a degree. If you have an issue with gluttony, you will say, the Bible says, I shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And I shall bless the name of the Lord, my God. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm saying? You just, oh, you must find scripture. Now, in an area of your life, it's possible that you've been given up to a reprobate mind. Not, hopefully not the totality, because if in the totality of your life, you've been given up to a reprobate mind, you're not saved. But in an area where you've explained sin away, it has enslaved you, and it's gone to the next step where, you know, your conscience receives signals from the Holy Spirit. So your Holy Spirit resides in your spirit. The Bible says we have an co-mingled spirit. And so when you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit is sending signals to your soul. Where is this? That's the seat of your conscience. For many people, when you engage long enough, you scramble that signal. So it doesn't even, you don't even feel anything. So the first time you ever did something, you cried, oh God, I'm bad, I'm bad. You do it for like three years. What happens to the remorse? Do you understand what I'm saying? We all do it to a degree. To a, to a degree. I remember another story. Um, the pastor, pastor told us a story. Pastor went to, Pastor Pique, he went to, I think it was Sweden, Gothenburg, I think, to a church. And he ministered, spoke over the people's lives prophetically. Within the next three months, God will do more for you than he's done for you in the past three years. Amen. Everybody, amen, amen. The next time he came back to the church, less than a year later, people, you know, people wanted to see the best guest pastor and all that so he can pray with them. And this guy waited in line a long time. Then he became his turn. He came to see pastor, sat in front of the pastor and said, I just want to say thank you, sir. The prophetic word you spoke last time over my life, over this church, it worked for me like fire. You are a man of God. In the three months, I saw more favor than I ever saw in like three years. He had the nerve to confess that he's a fraudster. No, no, you see, it's funny, but it's not funny. The point is, he did not even know that what he was doing was wrong. He said, you know, God gave me favor. When pastor realized that this guy is actually a fraud, he's coming to testify that my own prophecy brought him favor. He said, come, let me bless you. Held his hand. He said, in, <laughs> prayed for him. The next time this, my brother, called him my brother, does any fraudulent activity, let him be arrested. The guy snatched his hand. He said, you are cursing me. He said, bring your hand. <laughs> prayed for him in tongues. If he do, you know the guy went to jail? Oh, yeah. No, you know what's sad? What's sad is that if someone prayed that prayer for me, you will never steal again. You know why? He couldn't help himself. He went to jail. So you can be given up to a reprobate mind. That's why sin is a little far. In all its manifestations. In all its manifestations. You... 
beat your wife long enough, you will say, the Bible says, husband shall rule over his wife. You will say it. So sin will scramble your software where you cannot get signals from the Holy Spirit that works in your conscience. So never take it lightly. Never take it lightly. So today I want to talk about the little fox of worry. And my specific topic is the many faces of worry. The first reason, actually, you know what, let, let's read a scripture. Matthew chapter 6. Let's read the Bible for a minute. Matthew 6 from verse 25 to 34. I'll try to speed read here. The Bible says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. <laughs> really? Easy for you to say, Jesus. <laughs> what you will eat or what you will drink. Jesus is talking to you. He says, no, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? I'll come back to that in a second. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, worrying, we're talking about worry and anxiety today, as a little fox. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, in other words, if you're a Gentile, you should definitely worry about that. Okay? But you're not a Gentile, so you shouldn't worry about that. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, <laughs> but tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This, this text is so loaded, we can actually stay here for weeks, but I don't have the time to do that. So I'll touch on it in pieces as I go on, all right? So why is worry a little folks? How many of you would agree that to some extent you worry? We might worry about different things. Some people worry about more about money. Some people worry about their family. Some people worry about their children. And to some extent, you worry. Let me see your hands again. To some extent, you worry. Okay, practically almost everyone worries to some degree. The reason why this is obviously relevant that we talk about it is because of how widespread, how common it is for people to worry, whether you're a Christian or not. As a matter of fact, if you don't worry to a degree, people say you're irresponsible. Have you ever heard that before? Why are you so irresponsible? That's what Peter was telling Jesus. You are irresponsible. You want us to die. Inside these boats, you can see us screaming, you're sleeping. You're sleeping. So why is worry a little fox? Don't forget I said to you that the little foxes goes after what? The grapes, the fruit, the fruit. So let's walk our way backwards. To Galatians 5 and verse 22, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Let's stop there for a moment. Worry is the opposite of peace. So wherever you have worry in your life, it means you don't have peace in that area. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit. Christian character. <laughs> Is what? Love, joy, peace. Worry attacks your peace. It also attacks your joy, by the way. But it starts with your peace. So when, whenever you find worry, wherever worry is manifested, it's because peace has been lost in that area. 
And so it literally is a little fox that attacks your fruit. And if, if that's all that it did, say, well, it attacks my peace, what have you. Maybe it's not that dangerous, but you need to understand the implications of a lack of peace in your life before you know how dangerous worry is. And I started to teach you guys about this sometime last year, where I talked to you from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. The Bible says, be anxious or be wor- you know, worry about nothing, be careful for nothing. But in all things, the Bible says, with prayer, stay with me, and supplication and with thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 6, and verse 7, make your request known to God. In other words, instead of worrying, pray. Verse 7 says, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will do what? It will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. In other words, when there's worry in your life and an absence of peace, it means that your heart and your mind is not guarded. And that is not good because your mind is the seat of your thoughts. Your heart is the seat of faith. So a Christian whose mind is not guarded in an area of their lives cannot incubate faith concerning their issues and will never have the right thoughts concerning their issues. So your thoughts will run wild. So I'm trying to say, whenever you worry and you lose your peace, what's really happening is your thoughts are running wild. The devil's going to tell you, you're, you know, <laughs> the worst case scenario is going to play in your mind. The reason why you don't have control over those thoughts is because you don't have peace. And peace is the guard. I've said to you before, it protects your mind and your heart. So the moment you lose peace concerning anything, you become very vulnerable, very exposed to the wiles of the enemy. First and foremost, you cannot incubate faith. So you cannot say, I'm going to pray about the issue at that point. Because what it takes for you to receive from God is faith. And it's very specific. So you can have many areas of your life. Many areas of your life. But you're just worried about one area. For every other area of your life, you find out that for some reason you have faith about everything. But there's just one. You just cannot, you just can't understand it. You just can't put your hand around it. You are freaking out. Everybody around you says that your cares are, or your worries are irrational. But to you, they're very real. The reason why is because your heart and your mind is exposed. Is exposed. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. I want to show it to you because I, I think you need to understand this one um, a little bit. Romans 10, 9. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, all right, and believe in your heart, all right, your heart is where you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse number 10. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So if your heart is exposed, you cannot believe. You try, but you can't. It's because the gate is open. So what area of your life is the gate open? What area of your life is your mind unguarded? Where your thoughts are running wild? Where you cannot bring your thoughts? And the Bible actually talks about bringing thoughts into captivity. Almost like demons. Because your thoughts can run wild. Thoughts can run wild. You know, that's what happened to, jo- um, to Jacob. And I was, that's what I was studying when the Lord gave me that word for someone, you know, the enemy brought evidence that his son was dead. And he started saying, oh, a, a wild animal has surely ripped my son. Now, <laughs> they didn't say that. He concluded, based on the evidence, your mind sometimes starts to run wild. You think the worst. 
this is going to happen to me. I'll never get a job, and I'm going to be, you know, hopeless, and I'll get deported. And the enemy just tells you all these things. And you're wondering, where did you get this stuff from? What happened is that your heart and your mind is exposed. So when you worry, it takes your peace. When your peace is gone, your gate is open, and that gate needs to be shut. Because it's only when your gate is shut that you're capable of incubating faith concerning an issue. You're capable of praying with power. But when it's open, the enemy would not allow you to incubate faith. Jesus in John 14, 27, he said, peace I live with you. So Jesus is living now. And he says, one of the things I'm going to give you is peace. And he says, my peace. My peace. In other words, <laughs> so I, I started to ask myself, what's, what's his peace? What kind of peace did we see Jesus manifest in the Bible? I can tell you a few instances, but the one I just referenced is very valid. The boat is filling up with water. They are about to literally die. There is a storm, and he is sleeping. That's his peace. The ability to sleep in a storm. On a pillow. That's his peace. I don't know about you, but I want that peace. I want that peace. He says, my peace I live with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, don't worry. Do not, not be afraid. Do not fear. So opposite of worry is peace. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. And worry attacks your peace. It attacks your peace. And it attacks your mind. You see, if you were not saved, if you were not saved, your life will always go, actually, even if you're still saved, will always go in the direction of your thoughts. How you think is how your life goes. That's natural. That's proven. If you think positive, your life will go positive. If you think negative, your life will go negative. You attract how you think. Let's just put it that way. If you think positive, your life will go in the direction of your thoughts. And so when your thoughts or your mind is exposed, that tells you that that's a dangerous thing. When, <laughs> when we give our hearts to Jesus, one of the things that is expected of us is that we become transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. In other words, when you see a person here, and this person has transformed himself in something else, you will realize that what has happened is that the person's mind has been renewed. Nothing else. What causes transformation? When you say, wow, you used to be like this. Wow, this, wow, this is amazing. What has really happened in that person's life is that their mind has been renewed concerning that issue that you're talking about. So, it's a little fox because it, it takes away your peace when you have worry and anxiety in your life. And just as you, ha you, know, you have a physical illness called paralysis, one of the things that worry does to you is that it paralyzes you spiritually. Have you realized that when you're worried about something, you can worry for like six months, but when you really think about it critically, you realize you haven't prayed about it because you're too busy worrying. You, you assume that your worrying is prayer, but worry does not equal prayer. It just means worry. That's all it means. So it paralyzes you spiritually. You cannot do what you need to do spiritually. You know what to do, but for some reason, you just cannot do that. So don't rationalize or justify why you worry. See, everybody does it. All right? Don't, you know, when, when the Bible says that these are the fruits of the Spirit, for example, just the same way you will not justify, oh, I'm just naturally a moody person. It's the same way you should not justify worry. Oh, I'm just naturally impatient. I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit now and its implications on your life. I'm, I naturally just lack joy. I'm just a depressed person. Ha <laughs> ha, hallelujah. No, you don't accept that. So why do you accept worry as a normal thing? It's not normal. It should not be normal in your life. It should not be normal, all right? So don't, don't, don't say, God, 
all these areas of my life are within your reach. But when it comes to this other one, I keep it out of your reach because it's just normal for everyone to do it. No, God can help you with worry, and he will help you in Jesus' name. And in any way that your heart, your mind is not guarded, we ask that peace will return in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Okay, the second reason why worry is a little fox, and this is where I really want to spend some time, is because worry grows and worry morphs. Okay, please stay with me. Worry grows. Little foxes become big monsters. It doesn't just grow, it changes form. It changes form. So, many times you find that something started out as worry, but how it ended up, you cannot even make a connection between worry and the end product. Okay. God have mercy on me. Let me, let me explain one example. The children of Israel, they were on a journey from Egypt to the promised land. And they're strolling along with their wives and their kids and their sheep and all that through the wilderness. All is well. The first day passes. All right. Maybe this Moses guy is just trying to teach us how to fast. <laughs> Second day, evening. So a guy, I just assume that the guy's name is Jew. Short form for Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. Juju, Juju says, hey, Ben, Benjamin, come. Is there any food in your camp? Benjamin says, nothing here. No rice, no rice. <laughs> juice, no juice. Meat, no goat meat, nothing. So you mean there's nothing in your camp? We thought it was only our camp. Okay, let me ask Dan. He goes to the tribe of Dan. He says, bro, how, how, anything? No. Not even fruit? No. <laughs> so they ask around all the tribes. There's no food in this camp. There's no water. Now, I assure you that their first thing was worry. They were worried. And they started to say, our wives and children, you should have left them in Egypt. We don't want them to die. And worry transformed into murmuring. Then they started talking to you. I said, this is Moses guy. <laughs> Why did we follow him? What kind of a leader is this? They started complaining. Murmuring. Murmuring is quiet. Not very harmful. Just amongst themselves. Like a man would call his family at night. Say, let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything you've done. But this Moses guy you've given us as a leader. Please touch his life. He doesn't know what he's doing. Help him. Murmuring. Murmuring transformed into complaining. And then I started telling Moses directly. Look, what is going on here? We are hungry. Why do you want to kill us in the wilderness? Complaining. Complaining transformed into rebellion. And that was their undoing. When they got to the point of rebellion, God said, ah, stop there. All of you, you die in the wilderness. Now, the truth of the matter is, you cannot see the relationship between rebellion and worry. Ever. Naturally speaking. You will not see rebellion as worry. But the seed of that rebellion was that they were worried. They were worried about their future. Just like when you see a butterfly, and she put on the screen earlier, and you see a caterpillar, you don't, what's the, how could you possibly explain that this came from that? But there are many stages in between. The funny thing is you don't know where it's going to end. And this is not the only stream of transformation of worry. In some streams, it transforms from, you know, from worry to fear and anxiety and panic attacks. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
it has, it, has, it has tentacles. And so that's why worry is dangerous because when you look at a lot of things critically, the root of it is worry. It was legitimate. But they did not handle their worry the right way. They allowed it to transform before their very eyes. And so their worry about their children's future, which is legit, became murmuring. And murmuring became complaining and became rebellion. They said to Moses, are you the only one that hears from God? God speaks to us too. And God says, now stop right there. That's the end. Worry grows and it morphs. It's, it changes form. It changes form. Worry has variants. It has variants. And the variants, they don't look anything like the parents. It has variants. The source of many issues is worry. Many issues. The root is worry. When you look at the life of Saul, his issue started with worry. He was worried that the people were, were moving away from him. Samuel said, wait for me, I'm coming to sacrifice. And he says, sure, I'll wait for you, you're the man of God. And Samuel delayed. And Saul was looking at the sign like, <laughs> Samuel, 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 Samuel. And the people started to murmur. And Saul got worried. And he's worried, worried. And he made a costly decision of destiny. He sacrificed, and as soon as he was done, Samuel showed up. And Samuel said, bro, what are you doing? And he said, the people were scattered from me. Worry is the root of many, many issues. It changes form. If you dig deeper, you'll find that it's worry. you find that it's worry. The source of marital problems. Marital problems. Pastor, my wife is not submissive at all. Tell me, what did she do? She doesn't listen to me. We want to spend money like this. She does it this way. Okay. When you talk to the woman, and you get to the root of the issue. She's worried about their future. That's why she's not listening to him anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. It's true, she's not submissive. But that's not where it started. She's worried that we don't have a future. We'll have a marriage conference first quarter of this year. So keep it, it should be a good one. Because that, that's a very important issue. Um, and that's not what we're talking about. But just, just think about it. When we talk about marriage, you know, they say that, um, for example, top three issues in marriage. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. They say it's money, sex, and communication, right? That's what they said. Okay. So the other one said, Pastor, my wife is denying me. <laughs> Hallelujah. My wife is denying me, Pastor. I, the Bible says your body belongs to me. You now be quoting Bible. Okay, okay, it's true. For the past two days. <laughs> so, you know what's funny? I saw this, um, this meme on social media. I think it was a TikTok meme or something. What this guy said. There was some, you know, this crazy meme. Like I said, for the past one year, I've tried to have sex with my wife 365 times. <laughs> this is a guy's mentality. <laughs> the guy's mentality now. I've succeeded 52 times. <laughs> and all the explanations. So you, anyways, you come and complain. Pastor, my wife is this. So tell me, when she's worried about your future, you're now saying she should be in the mood. You come into the bed. Baby, are you sleeping? She's like, get away from me. <laughs> I'll kick you if you touch me right now. She's worried. Men too. When men get worried, they get quiet. Say, my husband is not talking to me. He's not, he can't talk to you. He's worried. He's worried. 
So worry, worry grows and it morphs. It changes form. So you need to understand the things in your life right now, does it have its root in worry? Does it have its root in worry? So how do we deal with worry? Can I hear you, sir? How do we deal with worry? Because we have to deal with worry. The first thing is focus. Focus is key. I find that a lot of times we worry because of what we are looking at. By the way, it's, it's not realistic to say don't look at your problems. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying don't focus on your problem. Focus on God. Focus on Jesus. Because, because you know, if you have a camera and you're trying to focus, there are other things in the background, but there's a main image. There's something that you're trying to focus on. Focus on Jesus. What you focus on matters. It matters. You focus on Jesus and you zoom in on him to the point where it's only him and everything else fades away in the background of the person that is Jesus. You have to change your focus. Before you bind the spirit of worry and anxiety, you must see Jesus bigger than everything else. You must see Jesus in all situations, in all circumstances. You must see Jesus. Peter is walking on water. He's going to Jesus. And he's having, you know, a successful go at it. The moment he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks to the wind, the Bible says he starts to sink. Same circumstances. Nothing's changed. Same circumstances. Nothing has changed. All that changed was his focus. He took his eyes off Jesus. The wind was boisterous. The Bible says he looked at the wind and, oh, he just started to dip. And Jesus grabbed him and said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? The enemy will make noise. You must have discipline to look at Jesus. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the beginning and the end of our faith. The moment you take your eyes off him, you will worry. There's nothing that can help you in that situation. So you, you focus on him and you zoom in on him till he's the biggest thing in your view. Isaiah 20, 26 and verse 3, the Bible says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Whose mind is stayed on him, fixed on him because he trusts in him. Worry is a function of what you see and how you see. So you must look to Jesus at all times. But two, you must put your trust in Jesus. I'm not saying you must trust Jesus because I know you all trust Jesus. I don't think any of us here truly questions the character of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you, you probably don't. But there's a difference between trusting Jesus and putting your trust in Jesus. Do you understand that? We trust him. Now, prove that you trust him by putting your trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs chapter 3 from verse 5. It says, lean not. Now, what would show that you trust the Lord with all your heart is that you do not lean on your own understanding. Once you start to lean on your understanding, it means you trust God, but you haven't put your trust in him. Lean not on your own understanding. When the issues come up, you lean not on the solution that you think you have but you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
how do you deal with worry? You pray. So Philippians 4, 6, where we talked about it, the Bible says that, be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, all things. Someone say all things. Someone say all things. With prayer and supplication. Okay? And with thanksgiving. He says, make your request known. Now, when you do that, when you do that, verse 7 happens. Then peace would come to you. So when you're worrying about something and you start to pray, the first thing that happens is that you would have peace. It doesn't mean that the solution has come. It's peace that comes first because you need peace to incubate faith. And it's faith that will bring the solution. So when God is speaking to you about something or you're worried about something, you're freaking out about your future, freaking out about your marriage, anything at all, and you haven't prayed about it because worry kind of takes away your ability to pray. You think you've prayed, but you haven't. You haven't prayed. You go to God in prayer. You name the issue in prayer and say, I give this to you. I'm putting my trust in you. The Bible says actually that we should cast our cares. When you cast something, you no longer have it. If I cast my phone, I, th I toss it away. Just cast it upon Jesus. Jesus has capacity to take all of our cares. So don't worry about him saying, oh, Jesus has too much on his plate. He's fine. He's not complaining. You understand? Cast it on him. And if you still have it, it means you haven't cast it. So if you're still worrying about something, it means you're still holding on to it. You haven't done the casting. So cast it on him. You put your trust in him. And you pray. You pray. If you're worrying about something, make a list of the things you worry about the most. Now, convert those things to a prayer list so that you're sure that you're actually praying about them. Because a lot of times, you worry about something and you think you've prayed, you really haven't prayed. But when you start to pray, what happens is the first thing that God does is he will give you peace concerning that area of your life. Another thing you need to do is consider. Can you say consider? Can you say consider? So Jesus was talking in the scripture we read. He said, Consider the lilies of the field. What does consider mean? To think. To think deeply. In that scripture in Philippians 4, it says pray, supplication and prayer with thanksgiving. There's something about thanksgiving that forces you to think. If you really think, you realize you have nothing to worry about. Why? God has been faithful in times past. Oh yeah. If everything you've ever worried about came to pass, you know how messed up your life would be. That's to tell you that more than half of the things you worry about never materialized. You just wasted Pentecostal energy worrying for nothing. Consider. That's what Jesus says. He says if you think deeply, you will realize you have nothing to worry about. Think deeply. That's what it means to consider. He says consider the lilies. He asked them to consider before he started to emphasize do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. If everything you ever worried about had happened to you, you would not be here today. You will not be here today. So consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like any of these. If you think about the works of God, if you consider Jesus, if you consider Revelation 1 that we just read, this image of this Jesus, if you consider that deeply, you will not worry. So it says consider. So a lot of times we forget to consider. Tell yourself consider. God has been good. God has been faithful. You've had some challenges in life, but trust me, if you can think, you remember that time that you were up against enemies that were stronger than you. You know one of the things I even thank God for these days is that he gives us an eye and an ear to even reveal the plans of the enemy. You woke up from sleep, you saw somebody did something to you in your sleep, and you're now panicked. You know you need to thank God first that you saw it. Because some people woke up and they, they ate 
rice in the morning. They did not know. They had no idea. After seven years, they now realize something happened. So the thing that's giving you, you should be thankful about the things you're even worrying about. That's what I'm trying to say. Consider. What if God didn't show you? What? Because the enemy, trust me, it wasn't the enemy's plan for you to know. I, I assure you. It works under the cover of darkness all the time. What if God never showed it to you? At least you could wake up and call your pastor or pray. What if you didn't know? You just woke up in the morning, went about your business, just to realize that while men slept, an enemy had sown tears. The last thing you must do, and I like this one, it's my favorite, is you must plan your nap. Plan your nap. The Bible says that Jesus was on a boat. The boat was filling up with water. Now, by the way, this, this trip was Jesus' idea. This is, I think you find this in Mark chapter 4, this story. This trip was Jesus' idea. Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus said it. And then they, they were traveling. And a storm came. Water was getting into the boat. They were about to start sinking. I have a question for you, please. Help me. Do you think Jesus knew there would be a storm before they set out? Come on now. Don't, don't hedge. Don't be bold. Be bold. Say with your chest. Yes, he knew. He knew. And he went to find a pillow. Because this, you know, when you fall asleep by accident, you don't have a pillow. You know what I'm saying? Jesus entered the boat and said, Peter, <laughs> I beg, is there a pillow there? Give me that pillow. And he went to the back. Can you imagine? Put his pillow and he slept. Then the storm arose. Then they started freaking out. They were even looking for him. They now found him somewhere sleeping on a pillow. A pillow. That's the key thing. A pillow. This was a planned sleep. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So you and I both know that in the next two weeks, next one month, next one year, there are some things that will come up in your life that you worry about. Before you get there, plan your nap. You understand that? Tell yourself, I will, s- <laughs> I will do what? I will, I will sleep. I will sleep. I will sleep. So that, because when you get to the middle of the, the, of the problem, you can't sleep anymore. That time is night vigil, you know, insomnia has set in. It's too late. So you plan now, now, that no matter what I find next week, next year, I will, I will do what? I will sleep with a pillow. Plan your nap. I plan not to be worried about anything in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter. I know this is life. Things will come up. But before I get to that point, I'm planning it in advance. This is how I will react. My reflex is that I will sleep. I will sleep. I will sleep. It's not God's plan for you to be worried all the time. I, I worry about what worry can become in our lives. As it did to the children of Israel. It cost them a lot. It cost them everything. It cost them God's entire plan for their lives. Because it, it, it morphed into rebellion. And God said no. But it started out as worry. No one just stands up and just rebels against leadership. I'm worried about what's going on here. I don't like this thing. Uh, then you complain and all that stuff. I'm worried. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.